of the truth of the living God. And Father, when I think about the temples that you call us to be, there's a menorah within us. And that menorah is lit. The light never burns out because it is the spirit of the living God that burns forth the truth. We're to be called a light to the nations as Jews, and the Gentiles have been grafted into that to be a light to the Jewish people, the Gentiles have, to stir them up to jealousy of those who are walking about and still have the veil over their eyes of not knowing intimately the Messiah, Yeshua. So, Father, the task that you've placed before us is great. But, Father, we know that as we walk by your Spirit, as we're filled by your Spirit, not ourselves, as we build the kingdom and exalt Yeshua, you have promised that you will draw all people of this earth, not unto us, but unto yourself, where the Father awaits to receive all his children to whom he has ordained to come to salvation, which is his son, Yeshua, and to be filled with the Ruach forevermore, the spirit of the living God. And so, Father, now as we turn to your word, may you fully equip our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our minds to comprehend all that you desire for us to walk therein. We're to be people of the book and people of your word and your word alone. So, Father, come fill us now with your word and send forth your word in our lives and transform our lives. Because, Lord, we are not satisfied with where we are right now in our spiritual growth. We desire to grow more and more to, to the point where we reflect our Messiah, Yeshua, in our lives, in our daily lives, in every word we say, every action we do. We want to glorify the King of kings and Lord of lords who rules and reigns over our hearts. In Yeshua's name, we humbly pray and ask. Amen. Amen. Turn with me now again to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Emissaries, the Apostles. This is, will be part two of Acts chapter 11. And we'll begin in verse number one. The emissaries and the brothers throughout Yehuda Judah heard that Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Kepha went up to Jerusalem, the members of the circumcision faction criticized him, saying, you went into the homes of the uncircumcised men and even ate with them. In reply, Kepha began explaining in detail what had actually had happened. I was in the city of Yafo praying and in a trance and I had a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being lowered by its four corners from heaven. And it came down to me. I looked inside and saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, crawling creatures and wild birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Kepha, slaughter and eat. I said, no, sir, absolutely not. Nothing unclean or trife has ever entered my mouth. But the voice spoke again from heaven. 
Stop treating as unclean what God has made clean. This happened three times, and then everything was pulled up back into heaven. At that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where I was staying, and the Spirit told me to have no misgivings about going back with them. These six brothers also came with me. And when we went into the man's house, he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Yafo and bring back Shimon, known as Kepha. He has a message for you, which will enable you and your whole house household to be saved. But I had already begun speaking when the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember that the Lord had said, Yohanan used to immerse people in water, but you will be immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he gave us after, we had come to put our trust in the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Who was I to stand in God's way? On hearing these things, they stopped objecting and to begin to praise God, saying, this means that God has enabled the Gentiles as well to do teshuva and have life. Teshuva is repentance. Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution, which had arisen over Stephan, went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. They spoke God's word, but only to Jews. However, some of these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, when they arrived at Antioch, began speaking to the Greeks too, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Yeshua. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of people trusted and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the Messianic community in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnaba, Barnabas to Antioch. On arriving and seeing for himself the grace of God at work, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with their whole hearts, for he was a good man full of the rock HaKodesh and trust. Then Barnaba, Barnabas, went off to Tarsus to look for, for Shaul, Paul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. They met with the congregation there for a whole year, and taught a sizable crowd. Also, it was at Antioch that the Talmudim, for the first time, were called Messianic. Some of your translations say Christian. During this time, some prophets came down from Yerushalayim to Antioch, and one of them was named Agav. And he stood up and through the Spirit predicted that there was going to be a severe famine throughout the Roman Empire. It took place while Claudius was emperor. So the Talmudim, the disciples, decided to provide relief for the brothers living in Yehuda, Judah, each according to his means. And they did it, sending their contribution to the elders in care of Barnaba, Barnabas, and Shaul Saul. So today we're going to go a little bit deeper, starting in verse number 18. 11.18, on hearing these things, they stopped objecting and began to praise God, saying, this means that God has enabled the Gentiles as well to do teshuva and to have life. 
So with this, Shaul Paul, he later mentions in his letters several times that we are saved not by unearned grace of God, not by our own good works, lest anyone should boast. Shaul, the Apostle Paul, the term freedom and Messiah, for example, in Galatians 2.4, declares this. And it is clear that some understood this to mean lawlessness, as records by Yaakov James, explaining this situation to Shaul when he wrote in the book of James, they have been told about you and that that you teach all Jews who are living among the Gentiles to apostatize, that is to forsake Moshe, telling them not to circumcise their sons and not to follow the traditions in Torah. This is taken from Acts chapter 21, 17 through 26. So we see that there's a continual theme going on here. Within the Messianic community, those who are being grafted into the Messianic community from the Jewish community have to deal with an issue. And their main issue is this, that anyone who comes to a saving knowledge of Messiah Yeshua first must be circumcised. Because they weren't there at Acts chapter 10 and later here at Acts chapter 11. It's amazing when people come from a different cultural background. If you and I were to simply get into a plane right now and travel around this whole earth and go to different congregations who lift up the name of Jesus or Yeshua, you would see that there are various differences of their culture from where these people come from. But the Lord wants us to iron out the differences. Things that he required of the Jewish people, he no longer required for the Gentile community to walk therein. That being namely the Brit Milah. And this is a, an ongoing discussion because when Rav Shaul, later as we get into the other epistles, you would think it was settled here in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, but this is an ongoing thing because the Judaizers, those who want to impress upon the Gentile people, the people from the nations who come to put their faith and trust in Messiah, it's their heart's desire, those members of the, of the circumcision faction, to impress on them to be circumcised. But that was not God's plan. So now as we go further here, we turn now back to Acts chapter 19. Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution which had arisen over Stephan went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. They spoke of God's word, but only to Jews. And why is that? Because they weren't present there in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. The spirit of the living God was moving upon his Jewish people to be a light to the nations. And what was the light that they were to share with them? That they were to start bringing uh, sacrifices to the temple? No, but they were to receive the light of God, who is Yeshua. And with any people group, as God is speaking to them, there has to be times of, of translation and transportation in the doctrines and beliefs that one has once held in the past. 
And this is an ongoing process. Going on to verse 21. The hand of the Lord Yeshua was, excuse me, however, in verse 20, some of these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, when they arrived at Antioch, began speaking to the Greeks too, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Yeshua. So here are some others who are inspired and led by the Spirit of the living God to proclaim the good news to the Gentiles in their communities. So going forward now in verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the Messianic community in Jerusalem, and they sent who? An apostle, Barnabas, to see what was going on in these areas. Was it, were these people being filled with God's word? Were they being transformed? And so he went there, and on arriving, he saw for himself the grace of God at work. This did not cause him to become jealous. He did not say, well, but now we need to have these men now circumcised. No, because he already received the revelation of truth. He was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with their whole hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Ruach HaKodesh and, and trust. So, so now moving back until a portion here, and that is Acts 26, 11, 26. Messianic or messianics, the Greek word Christiano, which could also be rendered Messiah or the Messiah's people, or as other translations, most translations have the name Christian. Now, as I was doing this, uh, preparing for this message, sometimes I use commentaries. And so this time I chose to, to use uh, Dr. David Stern. And this is what, what Dr. David Stern gives insight on this name Cristano. This was applied to the Gentile believers by Gentile non-believers. Why is that? Because why would, he, why would the Gentile believers start calling them the Jewish Messianic believers there when they dressed and they lived in the culture and the expression of Jews as being outside of that? So the question is why? Because Jewish believers would have designated their Gentile brothers in faith as the same term as themselves. And what would that be? Messianic or people of the way. While the Jewish non-believers of Antioch wouldn't have, have thought enough about Gentile believers in Yeshua to have given them a special name. Probably the Gentiles of Antioch kept on hearing about Christos or Christ. And being unacquainted with the Jewish notion of the Messiah, they designated Yeshua's followers, who were Gentile, by what they supposed, what they supposed that their leader's name was, Christos. In all likelihood, this declaration was an expression of disapproval. It was a mockery. The name of non-believing Jews today give Jewish believers at that time as 
being not serene or not serene. Those from Nazareth or following the prophet Yeshua from Nazareth. That is the followers from the man from Nazareth. In the modern word for Christians today remains to be not serene. Now there's now a dialogue, a very, very interesting dialogue that Dr. David Stern wrote pertaining to Hebrew Christians and Messianic Jews. And this will give you a little bit of the culture and the background of a debate that has been going on for the last 40 plus years. Should a Jew who has put his trust in Yeshua as a Messiah call him a Christian today? Most Jews and Christians alike would answer the affirmative on the ground of the very definition of Christian, one who believes in Jesus Christ. Regardless of whether his family background is Jewish, Christian, Muslim, pagan, or something else. But for many Jewish believers disagree in the fact relatively a small community of Jews who believe in Yeshua is split into two camps. And what are they? Messianic Jews and Hebrew Christians. A Hebrew Christian might say, I call myself Christian because I've come to believe in Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord. And my first loyalty must be to him and his church and the community of the saved. Nevertheless, I was born a Jew and I will die a Jew. So I speak of myself not as a Christian, but as a Hebrew Christian. In order to testify to all non-believing Jews and Gentile Christians alike that I continue to identify with my Jewish brothers, including those who do not share my faith. And so now today, when the Spirit of the living God descends upon any person who is a non-believer and brings them to repentance, and they, they come to a saving knowledge of who Messiah Yeshua is, they don't stop being German or Japanese or Persian or one of the island peoples. They remain in their culture. So let us move forward. A Messianic Jew may say, I call myself Messianic for the same reason that my Hebrew Christian friend calls himself a Christian, namely, to make clear that I follow Yeshua the Messiah, my Savior and Lord, and I identify with his body, the entire Messianic community, which part of it calls itself the church. The other part calls it the synagogue or the Messianic congregation. I prefer the word Messianic because it comes from Messiah, which means the Jews, whereas the words Christ and Christian are alien to the Jewish culture and religion, but re represent the banner on which the Jewish people experience centuries of discrimination, persecution, and murder. And although Hebrew may have an elegant ring from the 19th century. Today it sounds quite quaint. No Jew today calls himself a Hebrew. To this the Hebrew Christian would reply, you're fooling yourself. You think your messianic terminology will win Jews to Jesus, but they will simply think you are deceivous. As soon as they find out that Yeshua is Jesus, 
And to be messianic is to be a Christian. They will drop you like a hot potato. Meanwhile, you're alienating your Gentile Christian brothers in the Lord who think you are a coward and not straightforwardly standing up for Christ and the good news of the gospel. And the Messianic Jew might return and say, untrue. I tell you all that, that I am part of Messiah's body, consisting of all believers in Yeshua, both Jews and Gentiles. In fact, it is precisely because I'm zealous for the gospel and the good news that I will not make words with a negative balance for Jews as a barrier to their accepting its truth. Further, if I say I'm a Christian, they will first think that I've conformed to the image of Gentile Christians they, that they have in their head. And second, think that I have abandoned Judaism and the Jewish people. But I have done neither. Accepting Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, is the most Jewish thing that a Jew can do. And I'm committed to expressing my love for him in a Jewish way, within the framework of Jewish Judaism. Except where Judaism specifically takes a stand against Yeshua and against the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah. The Hebrew Christian might say, but if you say you that you have, have not abandoned Judaism, do you accept the authority of the rabbis and their interpretation of Jewish law? A Christian is set free from the details of Judaism as the rabbis expound upon. If you identify with Judaism and not with Christianity, are you abandoning Christ and your professed your profess faith is now empty? The Messianic Jew could reply, no, identify with Judaism and the Torah, but not as interpreted by the rabbis who do not accept Yeshua as the Messiah. Even though I think much that what they said has some truth and should be evaluated on its merits, not discarded altogether. What I uphold is the Torah as expounded by the greatest rabbi ever, by Yeshua the Messiah. To which the Hebrew Christian might reply that he too accepts the law of Christ as authoritative. And so the discussion would go on. So you can see that you can have disagreements of opinion within a Messianic community and still show respect and honor toward one another. Back to Acts chapter 11, verse 27. 26. And when he found that was Barnabas, Barnaba, he found him Shaul, he brought him to Antioch, and they met with the congregation there for a whole year and taught a sizable crowd. And what is this crowd of? Both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah. And it was at Antioch that the Talmudim, for the first time, were called Messianic. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them was named Agav. And he stood up, and through the Spirit, he predicted that there was going to be a severe famine throughout the Roman Empire. It took place while Claudius was the emperor. The 
prophets among the believers are now mentioned here in Acts chapter 13, 1, 15, 32, as well as 21, 9 through 10, as well as 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 29, chapter 14, 29 through 37, Ephesians 4, 11. Non-Messianic Jews maintained then and maintained still that prophecy ceased after the return of Babylon. For example, 1 Maccabees 9.27 says this, So there was a terrible distress in Israel, and there had not been anything like it such the time of the prophets stopped appearing among them. That's also recorded in 1 Maccabees 4.46.14-41. But according to the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, prophecy recommenced with Yohanan, John the Immerser. The title prophet is applied frequently to Yeshua in Acts 3, 22 and 23, and Matthew 21, 11, Luke 29, 19, Yohanan, John 7, 40, and 9, 17. In the Messianic community ranked after the emissaries, the apostles, the shlakim, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and Ephesians 4, 11. Since Yeshua promised his Talmudim that the Ruach HaKodesh, would, the Holy Spirit would announce to you the events of the future, found in Yohanan, John 16, 13. All believers are urged to seek the gift of prophecy. But know this, any prophetic utterance that does not build upon what is recorded in the Tanakh, the Haftorah, or the Brit Hadashah, which is the Old Testament. Uh, I, I'm start, yeah, New Testament, Brit Hadashah. But, but of these books in English, the, the Old Testament, the Haftorah, thank you for that correction, which are the writings of the prophets, and then the Brit Hadashah, which is the New Testament. And that's what we're to judge all prophetic utterances. And it's also beautiful to know this, that when you read Scripture, you're reading prophecy unto yourself. And when you preach Scripture, you're proclaiming prophecy not only to yourself, but to everyone who is assembled with you there. And it's beautiful to know this, that God never lets his people, without knowing his will. And that's why he sent that prophet Agav to speak to them and warn them about that coming famine. Earlier today, we were dealing with the life of Yosef, and God raised him up for a certain time to do what? To save both the holy remnant, which was the family of Yaakov and all their sons, but also to save the people of Egypt and all those nations round about. See, God has always done this. It's his heart's desire to save people, and that's not just spiritually, but it is also to save them and their lives, their physical lives here on earth. To God be all praise and glory and honor in Yeshua's name. Acts chapter 11 is now complete. Shabbat Shalom. Brother Tim, will you come and close our service? And thank you.